Welcome to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast. This is Michael Bond. Okay, so it's been quite some time since we've released new content. Things have been very busy around the office. The goal is to bring you new episodes weekly, so we'll see how well we're able to hit that target going forward. In this episode, I'm speaking with pastors Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. Mel is the lead pastor of Summit Church, as well as the founder of the Back 40 Leadership Network. Todd is the associate pastor in charge of spiritual formation, small groups teaching, and discipleship. Both are experienced preachers, and in this episode we discuss sermon preparation. We talk about the creative process before the week of the message, the value of working ahead, how to keep momentum during seasons of low attendance, and several other topics I think you'll find helpful. This was a productive conversation, and I had a lot of fun, as I'm sure you will too. Before we jump in, I want to remind you about the Back 40 Leadership Conference. This year's conference is on June 24th and 25th, with check-in starting at 4 p.m. on day one and breakfast at 8 a.m. on day two. You can find more information, as well as how to register, on back40.network. This year's guest speaker is Pastor Jim Hennessy from Trinity Church in Cedar Hill, Texas. I've listened to Jim speak several times before, and I can tell you you don't want to miss it. That's all we have in terms of announcements, so without further delay, I bring you Mel Massengale and Todd Stanley. I am here with pastors Todd Stanley and Mel Massengale. Greetings. Hello, hello. Okay, so today we're going to talk about all things sermon preparation. Um, So when I think about sermon preparation, I think that there are sometimes pastors who run into the problem of, okay, they feel the calling on their life. They have a ton that they need to say. And there's almost like this honeymoon period when it comes to prepping sermons and delivering sermons where it comes easy to them. And then they feel like maybe they've run through all their content, all all the things that were really kind of weighing on them. And then they have to deal with the problem of process and the problem of, okay, how do I write sermons when I'm not feeling inspired? What are the steps that I take? Maybe I didn't even have a formula for writing sermons whenever I started out. They just came to me and now they're not coming to me anymore. And now I'm stuck in a, a position where, you know, I'm getting upset towards the end of the week because Sunday's coming and maybe I'm trying to write my sermons on Saturday and things aren't working out the way I want them to. And so maybe let's just talk a little bit off the bat about working ahead. Um, we ha- we draft, sort of draft, roughly draft our sermons here at Summit like a year in advance and um, approximately. And so why do you prefer to work ahead when it comes to writing sermons? Well, I know for me personally, um, part of it is just it, it's a discipline um, because if I didn't, then I could fall easily into the trap of, you know, um, last minute sermon prep. And so it helps discipline me to make, make me think about it and pray about it and plan it further out. And so that's part of it for sure. Um, part of it is it, I don't have to, I mean, we talk to pastors all the time and, and I do that, you know, when you ask them, what is your biggest stress? Um, a lot of them won't say sermon prep, but when you talk about when you talk about actual stress, it's like, oh yeah, it is sermon prep, mm-hmm. because a lot of the pastors I'm talking to um, are busy. You know, the, it's smaller churches; they don't have big staff, they don't have an executive pastor or an you know executive assistant, or so they're doing everything. They're doing counseling, they're doing you know admin work, they're doing everything, and it just. Um, 
sermon prep gets gets marginalized. And because of that, you know, they're not planning ahead. And because they're not planning ahead, they're going to what do I have in the tank? And, you know, what have I said before that I can say a little differently? And and so for, for me, same thing can happen if I'm not careful. So that's one of the reasons why, hey, let's plan ahead so we can get on the same page as a team so that I know, hey, here's where we're going. Uh, and I'm kind of locked into it where it's like, okay, um, this is what it is. Um, when I'm a guest speaker at other churches, I'll usually ask, what do you want me to preach about? When they tell me just whatever you want to preach on, that's usually tougher for me. But if they'll say, hey, if you'll talk about this topic, it makes it easier for me mm-hmm. because then it narrows the field. And so that's another thing that it does is because we plan it out, it narrows it. So I'm not I'm not on Thursday going, gosh, what am I going to preach about this weekend? And then the possibilities are limitless. Mm-hmm. I know here's here's the general target, you know, even if I haven't done any prep up to that point. Yeah, it's so much easier with a prompt. And that's interesting. Um, I like what you said about discipline because I think that uh, the disciplines that we establish when it comes to things like sermon prep, those are going to save us when, like you were saying, either the administration side of things is pulling on us in a bunch of different directions, or we're just not feeling like writing something. We're Mm -hmm. not feeling like reading something. You know, I tell people sometimes whenever I talk about reading the Bible, even I say, I never skip the genealogies and I never skip like the parts that people are finding like dry Mm -hmm. or boring. And the reason for that is, well, A, because you can find interesting things in there if you really look deep, but also what you're doing when you don't skip those parts is that you're training yourself to keep your attention when something is boring, when Mm -hmm. you're not feeling engaged. You're training yourself to read even when you're not engaged. Mm -hmm. And that's a superpower, man. Like that's, and and that's the same thing when it comes to writing too. Like if you can write when you're bored and you don't want to write, your productivity goes through the roof because what stops people a lot of times when it comes to their Bible reading and for pastors with their sermon prep is they just don't feel like doing it a lot Mm -hmm. of times. Like it's just like, it's not coming to me. Um, and I think that those things are useful too. I like the idea of prompts. I like the idea of narrowing the field so that you can, you have something to respond to. And then whenever we develop those prompts, a lot of times it involves like the whole staff coming together Mm -hmm. and kind of, uh, I don't know if Kendall would probably call it storyboarding, like where you put it Mm -hmm. all on a whiteboard and then you have, you kind of go off of that. Um, do you think that that's actually a good idea or not? So this idea of bringing, people, other people in on your sermon decisions. So one of the things that we've done with United is we would do United as the young adults ministry, uh, here at summit. Um, we would do like mock sermons. So mm-hmm. whoever was preaching that Tuesday, they would preach to the teaching team. And then those people would evaluate the sermon and all of the sermons, every single one of them got better because of that. Yeah. Uh, and, we don't do the we don't do the mock sermons exactly here, but we do something similar in that we bring people in on the sermon decisions. And so, mm-hmm. what do you think about that? Is that wise for any church to do, or is that just depending on who your staff is? Well, I would say if you have the the resource to do that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Scripture says there's a wisdom in an abundance of counselors, right? And so, uh, you know the. I think it's foolish for any of us who are teachers or communicators or to think that, uh, you know, in and of ourselves, we can create the very best possible, you know, sermon. And that's not to say that sometimes you, you don't, you know, craft the entire sermon 
illustrations and all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes there's a necessity for that based on on time factors and constraints, or maybe you feel a particularly you know um, passionate about a particular you know of something that the Lord's laid on your heart and it just kind of pours out of you, all of those kind of things. I'm not saying that it's wrong to write a sermon alone, but I'm saying it can always be better, I think, if you invite other people into that. I mean, people have Mm -hmm. other ideas and different ways of thinking, different perspectives, and the more we can see those, the more we can address uh, all the different types of people that we're we're speaking to and communicating with on on a given day. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, And there are definitely different processes to that uh, what it looks like and what it needs to look like um and i know even among our staff there's some tension because there's uh, a couple staff that are like hey we want more involvement in the sermon process and um and there is a kind of a give and take where you have to figure out what works best for you um because we could spend 60 hours a week working on sermon yeah. if we wanted to but is that the best way to use our time and energy? Because um, most people, and I don't want this to sound sacrilegious, most people in my church don't know the difference between uh, an A message and a B-plus message. Um, I might, but they don't. And the difference between an A and a B-plus might be eight hours of prep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not that we don't give our very best, but there's there's a point, uh, there's a, a point of diminishing returns right. in our work. That we go, okay, I could put 10 more hours in for 0.2% extra excellence. So is that worth it for us? And so for me, that's kind of where I draw the line and go, okay, could we continue to craft it and craft it and craft it and craft it and craft it? Absolutely we can. There's... Um, when it comes, I'm a nerd, Star Wars, I know you are too, Todd, but like George Lucas, when he re-released the original Star Wars trilogy, somebody asked him, um, why did you redo those scenes? And he said, a movie has never finished, it's only abandoned. Huh. And, and what he was saying is, we didn't have the technology, we didn't have the time, we didn't have the ability to make the movie what we wanted it to be at the time, but we could come back and yeah. and do it. And and I think a sermon in some ways is similar. It's never completed, it's only abandoned. That's why you can preach the same topic 10 different times, you know, and touch on mm-hmm. different things, because you never finish, exhaust a topic, you never exhaust a scripture, you abandon it. There's only so much you can do or say. So I think it's different for everybody, and it depends on what you want to do. You know, Louis Giglio is crazy creative, and that's part of their identity and who they are, and so they're going to do sermon series differently because that's part of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it just depends on who you are and what you want to accomplish. And so like when you're bringing the team together, it should be then, then it should be important for the preacher, the lead pastor, whoever's taking care of the lion's share of the teaching. It should be important for that person to defend the way, like their style. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you wouldn't want, say, say you're not particularly creative. You wouldn't want Louis Giglio's team coming in around you to Absolutely. help you write your sermons. Like you want to try to structure the, the composition of your team surrounding your strong points, right? Yeah, but at the same time, you need people that'll push back on you. You need people that'll go, hey, is that really the best way to do it? You know, because if you don't, you just got sick of fans and you're just going to keep getting what you always get. Mm-hmm. So you need some people that'll push back on you, but it, there's this balance between saying, hey, here's who we want to be and here's who we are. And you know, this aspirational vision and this understanding of what our culture is and, you know, that kind of thing. And so as a lead pastor, 
we, I never want to be in a place where I get stuck because that's where churches die, right? Where we go, that's just, we don't do it that way. <laughs> and mm-hmm. 20 years later, we're doing it the exact same way we've always done it. And now we don't understand why we're, people don't come to our church and why we're not reaching young people. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so there's a balance there. Um, but, but yeah, I want everybody in the room for that conversation if they want to be on the conversation. So do, are we going to, do you want to talk about our process at all? What we do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and this is not prescriptive. This is not, everybody has to do this. This is just what we do. Um, basically throughout the year, I, I think about the sermon topics. So, um, Hey God, what are you laying on my heart? I hear an idea. I read a passage of scripture that like kicks my rear. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a sermon series. So whatever it is, and I'll start tucking it away. I use an Evernote file. And so right now I've got a 2023 sermon Evernote file that I'm just putting sermon ideas in. And some of those sermon ideas are from the cutting room floor of 2022, like things we didn't get to that I'm like, okay, we're putting it in there. We're going to re-examine it. Um, And then this fall, whatever it is, October, um, we'll sit down as a team and I'll invite everybody to come sit in the room for that. Anybody who wants to on our staff, so we'll have admin people, mm-hmm. whoever, will come in and sit down. And um, and I'll put all the ideas on a marker board in my office, and we'll just talk about them. I'll go series by series, give them an overview. What do you guys think? And uh, sometimes the ideas on the board, that's exactly what we end up doing. Mm-hmm. And then there's sometimes that I'm like, man, this idea is not, it's not even half-baked. It is quarter-baked. It is, yeah. you know, what do you guys think? And it'll turn into something totally different. And it's way better than what the original idea was, but it's that's the beauty of collaboration on that right. is because could we have just done this quarter-baked idea? Yeah, and it probably would have been okay. But the team, the different ideas, the different perspectives helped it get better. Yeah. Um, so we walk through some creative elements like, hey, are there takeaways? Are there, do we want to do a Bible study with this? You know, and so like right now we're doing a series in the book of Romans and we're doing uh, Bible studies in the book of Romans with it just to, just to reiterate what we're doing on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And so we really talk through that kind of stuff strategically. Um, tokens or takeaways, things we want to put in their hands, or their creative elements, videos, whatever it might be. And so we try to talk about some of that stuff there. So give the creative team some runway. Um, and I think it's especially important for churches that are smaller, that don't have a full-time mm-hmm. media pa- pastor person, that give them lots of space, you know, plan a year out and yeah. give them room and say, hey, next September, we're going to do a series on, could you do a video for that? And you give them nine months to do it, they probably could. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so that's basically what we do. And then we give the flexibility to switch it, to change. Um, and if we get into a series and we're like, okay, this is a lot better than we thought it was going to be, we're going to extend this out. We'll do it. Right. Because um, I, I had people early on, one of, as a matter of fact, one of my associate pastors currently, um, Pastor Dick pushed back on me the very first time I talked to him about this. And, um, and I just said, the Holy spirit can talk to me just as easily right now as he can on Sunday, Saturday afternoon when I'm preaching on a Saturday night. Uh So like the Holy spirit's not a year out going, well, I don't know what I want him to preach a year from now. He knows. So let me just ask him and let me hear. And you know, so, uh, anyway, so that's kind of, that's kind of generally our process and what it looks like. Todd, you've been involved in it. What did you have any thoughts on that or, uh, no, I mean, I think you covered it pretty well. I mean, you know what always what always is good about those meetings is that there will be those things that come up uh an idea that someone else on the team will have that will really you know 
complete that that kind of um, nebulous idea that you mm-hmm. had, where you go, I don't really, you know, this isn't, mm-hmm. this is just a thought, you know, what do you guys think? And then inevitably there'll be somebody that comes up with an idea that goes, oh yeah, then this this is really going to work, and yeah. you know, and so having people in the room for that is, well, that's exactly why we do that because those multitude of perspectives really helps out. Well, I know we don't necessarily have like a theme for the year or, but we do kind of feel like the first series of the year kind of sets the tone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's been a couple of times we've come into those meetings and I've been like, I got no clue what series we want to do at the beginning of the year. And somebody will like, I know one year Deb suggested like, Hey, why don't we do a series on maybe it was this year. Was it for holiness? I think it was. It might have been, yeah. Yeah, so this year we started with uh, the series Holier Than Thou, which turned out to be an incredible series. And that was not on the marker board to start with. But, you know, Deb said, what if we have an idea for, and Deb's not on the preaching team. She's not going to be preaching a sermon on the weekend. But, you know, her contribution was very important. It actually Mm -hmm. helps kind of help set the tone for the year. Yeah, there's two things here that I want to make sure that that we kind of sit on for a second. And that is that... A, the Holy Spirit is not bound in a moment. And mm-hmm. so you don't have to feel like, okay, if I over-prepare, I'm not leaving room for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit may be in the preparation. And, you know, so there was a, there's a pastor of a church that I just found out about. I just like blew, blew me away. I watched a video on it, the Flatirons Church in Colorado, just massive. Um, and he, their lead pastor scripts out his sermons word for word and he preaches them off of his script like that Mm -hmm. on a prompter. And I loved that. And that's because, you know, I've, I've done it that way a lot and it's hard for me to break out of that now. And so I'm like, uh, you know, there's so many excellent extemporaneous speakers and I think, okay, am I limiting myself by doing it this way? But you know, there, there, there are other preachers that kind of, they rely on the inspiration in the prep Mm -hmm. and then they just deliver what they have when they're up there. And Mm -hmm. that's not to say that it's, right or wrong to do it either way. But I think it may be wrong to, to suggest that, okay, I'm not going to prepare because I want the Holy Spirit to work through me. Yeah, I think that, that is, that's a yeah. really slippery slope. <laughs> yeah, that is, I wouldn't even say it's a slippery slope. I would say it's that's, a cliff. It's lazy. <laughs> I would say it's lazy. And I, I think you dishonor God when you when you underprepare and rely on the Holy Spirit. Do Look, we rely on the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Yeah. But I feel like that is... That's it's just laziness. Well, you know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, "Study to show yourself approved." Absolutely, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed. You know, and so if you want to set yourself up for being ashamed of what you said in the pulpit, don't study. That'll mm-hmm. that'll do it every time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and the other point here is um, that the Holy Spirit, inspiration from the Holy Spirit, is not restricted to a relationship between you individually and the Holy Spirit. Like you get people in a room collectively, Mm -hmm. the spirit can move in that moment collectively, like, you know, with everyone. And then then those ideas come forward. And so I think those two points are probably pretty important. The next thing I want to talk about is, well, first, before we get on to the next thing, we have some strategic fixtures in our sermon planning, like season seasonally, and they're there for a reason. So let's talk a little bit about that. Things like at the movies, Mm -hmm. things like bringing in guest speakers. Why do we do what we do? Uh, when we do it and why has it been good for us? I'd love to say that I'm brilliant. I'm so smart. I've figured this stuff out. (laughs) It's not. We've ripped this stuff off from other churches. Uh, Churches that are smarter than we are figured it out. So I was in Oklahoma City before I came to Western PA and and there's a big church there that maybe you've heard of. It's called Life Church. It's one of the biggest churches in America. Gigantic. 
Um, and they do a series every year that they started years ago. And I think they were the originators um, called At the Movies. And it's just a series where they will take uh, clips from a popular film and use those to illustrate the gospel, basically. Um, and it is it is a gimmick. It is 100% yeah. what it is. Um, it is a tool by which you can invite friends to come and experience church differently. Um, and so, obviously, I'm in Oklahoma. We're, we can't do it in Oklahoma. It's, it's a clear ripoff. But when I came to Pennsylvania, I was like, hey, we're going to try this uh, because uh, I didn't tell anybody I ripped off the Life Church. I just let them think I was brilliant, but I didn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I came here and I was like, let's try this because nobody around here was doing that at the time. And, man, I got criticism for it from our church, from outside our church. And uh, and originally when we did it, we did it in September to make it like a comeback event for, you know, the fall for people. Like if you've been gone through the summer. And at Life Church, I believe they always do it in June or July. And after a couple of years of doing it at the movies, it was very popular for us. I realized July was our rock bottom month. And it is for most churches, too. Um, like as far as attendance goes, engagement. And I, I said, what if we switch it to July? And July became our largest attended month of the entire year. Wow. So um, if you take the average attendance for a month, July is always our top attendance now. Um, and so that was strategic for us where it was mm-hmm. like, hey, we can buoy our attendance, uh, keep people engaged. Because it wasn't just about numbers. It was about we can keep people engaged through the summer. Right. You know, it's kind of yeah. like when your kids don't go to school for the summer and then they forget. They t- it takes the first eight weeks to relearn what they forgot over yeah, the summer. Yeah. Same kind of thing. So if we can keep people engaged through the summer, it just makes it that much easier to stay in the routine. So that's a that's a big one. You mentioned guest speakers. Um some of our guest speakers aren't as strategic. Some of it is like if we're bringing in some of my um, overseers, then it's kind of like, hey, what works best for your schedule? But we do have a season around Easter, and I, I often tell churches they need to think about this. So what our schedule looks like for Easter is the weekend before um, the weekend before Easter is when we always do our Easter outreach. And the reason we do that then is just in my experience, if you do it Easter weekend – People will go to your Easter egg hunt or your outreach or whatever you do. And then not come to church. And then they will not come to church. Mm. You're going to invite them to church for Easter, and they're going to be like, great, I've already engaged the church this weekend, maybe some other time. Right. But if you do it the week before and say, hey, bring your family to church next next weekend, there's a higher likelihood that they're going to show up. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we do it the weekend before. And plus, it kills your team if you do an Easter outreach, Easter weekend. You've already got multiple services. It's a big day. You're killing your team too, so that's it makes it easier. Then Easter weekend for us is uh, my team has heard this ad nauseum. It is the most normal weekend we do the entire yeah. year. Why is that? Um, well, we never do like you know the the Pink Floyd laser light show on Easter. <laughs> we never do anything crazy, anything that's outside of what our normal service would look like. Because what we don't want to do is trick people. We right. don't want to have a big Easter production and people show up on Easter who never come to church and they're like, dang, I love this church. And then they come back after Easter and there's no production. And they're like, wait a second, right. you tricked me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like the other church I came to. I don't <laughs> like this church. So what we want to do is present people, show people who we are. Because they're coming to church whether you do the production or not on Easter. Yeah. You know, yeah. there are people, leverage that religious guilt wherever you're at and get people right. to church, right? Yeah. So they're going to come to church whether you do a production or not. So don't do the production. Show them who you are. That's what we do. Yeah. And, um, and so that's what we do on Easter. So that even though we do more services, it makes it a little simpler because we don't have something crazy happening. The weekend after Easter then, that's where we do something different. That's where we'll have a guest speaker. And for us, we've brought in 
This last year, we brought in the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've brought in Marion Jones, the the former USA track star. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Frank Reich of the Indianapolis Colts. Daryl Strawberry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Chris Broussard. Chris Broussard, yeah. yeah. Michael Francis. And so yeah. the great thing is there's been some big names in there, but there's also some people that you don't know their name at all. They just have crazy stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to bring Jed in somebody. Chappell. Yeah, Jed Chapel, a friend of ours, um, has an incredible story. And so what we want to do is bring somebody in that is going to be a draw. So mm-hmm. I can tell the people on Easter Sunday, hey, come back next weekend. You're going to hear this mob boss tell his story about yeah, how he got yeah. saved. Hey, come back next weekend. You're going to have Daryl Strawberry talk about his career. And that's a comeback event for people. And so they'll come back the weekend after Easter. Yeah. Um, and then the weekend after that, um, two weeks after Easter, is when we do massive baptisms. So we do baptisms in each of our services. And what we do then with our baptisms is we send out, we ask the people who are being baptized to give us the names and addresses of some people they would like to invite that don't go to our church or don't go to church. And then we send them a, a nice invitation and just say, hey, on behalf of so-and-so, we'd love to invite you for the baptisms. Here's when it is. Here's the date. Please be our guests. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is they're going to show up, and when they do, we're going to tell them about Jesus during those services. Um, and then this year it worked out that Mother's Day followed all that. So Mother's Day just was tagged on because of the way the calendar fell. Mm-hmm. So we ended up having, what, five big weekends in a row yeah. where we were able to build a lot of momentum, a lot of enthusiasm. We saw a ton of people saved. We saw mm-hmm. a bunch of people baptized. And for a lot of churches, the weekend after Easter is their worst attendance mm-hmm. of the of the whole year. Yeah. So you get your best attendance where pastors feel like heroes. They're like, man, I'm killing it. And then the next weekend, they're borderline suicidal because yeah. <laughs> nobody showed up. You know, yeah. they had a tenth of their Easter weekend. And uh, so for us, it's just a way to keep people engaged through that season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we try to do a fun series like in September that's going to be a higher engagement. Um, and so we'll do series. Uh, we've done series like um, asking for a friend yeah. mm-hmm. or, you know, some topical t- kind of messages that are highly engaging right. or have a little bit of a hook to it. Mm-hmm. So we'll do some of those in September as well. So that we do try to look at the calendar and go, hey, how can we engage people in the different seasons we're in? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would I wanted to say too on that, like fun does not mean fluff. I mean Absolutely. asking for a friend was oh, a man. tough series, <laughs> right? Because we we invited people to ask questions, like to like email in their questions or text in their questions. And there were some there were some yeah. difficult things. And uh, like one of the things we did along with that series was we did a series of um videos on Facebook where we addressed some of the questions that we didn't address on the weekend. Yeah. And so like, you know, things that engage people, that doesn't mean like theology light or fluff right. or it, yeah. I mean, these were, I mean, they can be really in really deep, really meaningful, really impactful for people uh, and still be something that people go, man, I, I want to go hear that. Well, and I think, I think, one of the things that's important for churches to do um, is to try to engage people where they are. And that sometimes we say that as an excuse to do church light. Right. But I I think it's really important for us to say, Hey, we're going to have some on ramps for people. Um, 
you know, Paul says, don't make it difficult for new believers, right? So they're not, we're not requiring circumcision and, you know, observance of the Jewish law, all that kind of stuff like he was talking about. But we do the same kind of things if we're not careful. So what I don't want to do, we have some shallow ends of the pool for people to get in. That's at the movies. That's a shallow end of the pool. That's an easy way to get engaged to the church. But then we have the deep end of the pool too. That's where we're going to do, you know, the book of Romans or do a series on the holiness of God. And those are important for new believers, but if that's all we are, um, it it would be hard to engage them yeah. in a way that they understand. Um, yeah, I really love the heart behind the strategic planning because it's what it takes to get there. I think is humility and honesty. Um, you know, it would be tempting to be a preacher and you're on Easter and, like you said, you're feeling like a hero on Easter, and then to think well, I just have a silver tongue. So this is the lowest attended year of, on my calendar, but I'm going to, I'm going to make it work. I'm mm-hmm. going to do it myself. I'm just going to be so good that people will come back. And, <laughs> and we don't do that. Yeah. And I think that that's like the product is that people are saved because yeah. we are willing to look at the calendar and say, Hey, this is where the low points are or would be. So what are we going to do? How are we going to be creative so that we can bring people back? Mm-hmm. And we're not really just trying to to pound a square peg into a round hole on that, on those particular issues. And so I, I, I think it's great. Um, it's hard sometimes, but it's, it's, yeah. it's worth it. You know, it's stepping out of your comfort zone. I think on all the teams, it can be difficult, but at the same time, it stretches you, it makes you better and you learn and more people show up and more people get saved. And that's yeah. really what we're trying to do. Well, and I think, I think too, just, Sometimes, you know, and we addressed this a little bit earlier about, you know, people feeling like, well, that's not spirit led or, you know, that's maybe guys are hesitant to do something like that because they go, you know, well, what if the, what if I feel like the Lord is changing my sermon Mm -hmm. during the week or whatever it's, you you can still leave room for some of that stuff. But I think we also need to understand that like a, having a rhythm and a calendar is not a new thing. For God's mm-hmm. people, I mean, mm-hmm. even all the—I mean, you go all the way back, yeah. right? You have the feasts, uh, the and feasts, get, yeah. and Passover, yeah. and like these, these—it creates a rhythm for us that that helps us to remember, right? Mm-hmm. That helps us to, you know, and it's crazy how how like I, there was a we did a series called Love Song Lies, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's been three years ago now. We, it was the second time we had done it, and I was asked to preach one week, and a, the song that we uh, kind of launched the sermon off of that week was Crazy Love by Van Morrison. The old, it has been three years ago. I still have people mm-hmm. comment on that series and that sermon in particular, yeah. right? And so it it's helpful for us. It, it creates, it's like that whole, you know, mnemonic device kind of thing mm-hmm. that you would use when you're memorizing the, you know, the planets in school, mm-hmm. or if you were a music student, the the staff and all, the, you know. And so these are, these are really powerful tools that, and it, I don't know why we would not use them if they're available to us. Well, and, you know, in terms of preaching too, I would say, there have been some criticism toward us that I've heard indirectly from other churches at times that, you know, take a lot of pride in the fact that they only preach line by line. And that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with doing yeah, that. And no. if you want to cover the book of Luke in 72 weeks, that's that's cool. I got no problem with that at all, I promise. Um, but, but 
for for preachers to assert that one is inherently more spiritual than the other, mm-hmm. I've got a problem with because Jesus didn't preach line by line through the book of Isaiah. Right. Um, he told stories. You know, he illustrated the truth of the gospel to people. And so, um, no matter what you do, I feel like we've got to be careful about asserting that. Well, the way I do it is the right way, and the way you do it is yeah. less spiritual or less biblical or less godly. Well, yeah. and I, 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 and I, I enjoy expository preaching. Yeah, I love too. line by line preaching. But let's be honest: even when we're doing line by line preaching, oh, come on. we go, "What topic uh-huh. can I address?" Ba- you know, from uh-huh. this text. And so, it's not that expository preaching is not topical. It is. Yeah. It's just that the text tends to dictate the topic right. more than say what we do when we mm-hmm. sit down and go, here are some things I think we need to address this year. How mm-hmm. can we do that? Well, and we do, and, and we do expository preaching yeah. as well, because, you know, we're in a book of, on uh, a series in the book of Romans right now. And usually every year we'll have a pretty significant uh, expository series that we'll go through. And, and again, that to me, that's kind of the deeper end of the pool for right. a lot of people. Right. Um, but Anyway, yeah, I think it's a mistake to look at topical sermons and think this is not biblically sound. And I think the reason it happens is because there are a lot of ter- topical sermons that aren't biblically sound. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is people will look at like a title of a sermon or a sermon series and they'll think, oh, that's topical. But well, I would... I've heard some expository sermons that weren't <laughs> biblically sound too. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Touche. Um, so I would just say, like, if you're one of those, because I'm, I'm. I favor expository sermons definitely, but the entire time I've been here, I've never heard a sermon that wasn't biblically sound. Yeah. And I, I would just say that if you're in an area and you know there's a church that's doing sermon series and you're kind of thinking, going back and forth, well, should I try that? Just go listen to their sermons uh, before you determine whether or not there there's quality there. Because mm-hmm. you know you may have you may be in this situation where you're judging by the sermon series name or, mm-hmm. or something or the fact that it's a sermon series. Um, and if you just listen to the sermons, you'll see that there's a lot of exposition that's going into it, even Absolutely. though it might look topical on the surface. And so, yeah. well, and and and. And I think you and I had talked about this before, Michael, but we've even done topical series that we end up doing an expository message in a topical series that it's like, hey, we're going to be talking about whatever the the glory of God. And we just take a passage and unpack it together, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. it's it's not that we're cherry picking verses, you know, because that's what I think a lot of people think of when they think of topical. They're just well, I just I've got this I've got this um, this idea that I need to support with scripture. So right. how am I going to do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think just about any preacher would say that's probably not the right way to craft a message. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I think even a topical message can be like you said, an exposition of scripture mm-hmm. uh, where we unpack it and and. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I think we just have to look at it a little differently than maybe I think we normally do. For sure. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the process once it comes out of the drawing room and it's during the week. So do you prep your do you prep your sermons during the week leading up to the Sunday, or how long does it take in general? I I heard a senior pastor once tell me that uh, he told his church before he. Uh, came on staff and he was there for a long time, but he said that he told them ahead of time, it's going to take me an hour for every minute of sermon I preach. And he Wowza. just 
kind of, <laughs> I don't know if he just wanted to kind of set his boundaries in terms of like, yeah. okay, I'm not going to do all these other things because I'm going to most mostly be doing this. That strikes me as a long time. Um, but is it just different for each person is, or is there an irresponsible amount of time as a lead pastor that you could be spending <laughs> on one end of the spectrum or the other? <laughs> Uh, Todd, do you have any thoughts? Do you want to start? Uh, I mean, you're, I know you're responsible gonna... <laughs> amount of time. Uh, I, I do think, uh, and Mel addressed this a little bit earlier, that there there comes a point at which there's a diminishing return, uh, and especially in terms of pastoral work, because if you're called to be a pastor, your calling is not simply to preach, right? You have a you're a shepherd. You have a congregation that you have to shepherd. And you need to have a space in your your in your schedule uh, for for counseling with people. You need to have you know the opportunity to to be in community with people, all those kinds of things. Um, and so you know, I don't know. I mean, I I'm not going to say there's a hard fast rule for how much time that has to be, but if you're not leaving space for that, if all of your time is is taken up with sermon prep and then you preach on the weekend and then that's it. Like, I don't, I don't know. There's man. probably other areas that are going to end up being neglected if that's Absolutely. Yeah. And like, if that, if you have other areas that end up being neglected, then those are going to show up. Those are going to manifest as health problems in the church and the congregation, even if your preaching is excellent. Yeah, I think, uh, and Todd alluded to this, you know, for a senior leader who's also the primary communicator, um, there is, there are vision elements. You've got to be a visionary. You've got to, you've got to do sermon prep. You've got to pastor. You've got to connect with your team and staff, key leaders, whatever it is. I mean, so you're going to have, no matter how big your church is, um, there's very, very few pastors in the United States that all they're doing is sermon prep. Um, or let me go the other direction, no matter how small your church is, there's very few pastors that can only be doing sermon prep because there's other things that are necessary and you are neglecting something if you're spending 40 hours a week in sermon prep. Um, and so that's, that's where I would say a hundred percent you're, you're putting too much time in that, um, because you're going to get more fruit from other areas, uh, investing in people, you know, having vision, asking God to give you vision, those kind of things. Um, so for me personally, and I think everybody is different for me personally. Um, when we get done with the, the, the team process and we finalize, okay, here's what our calendar looks like for the year. Here's where the sermon series are going to go. Here's the length. Here's the times we put the dates on them. So when we leave that meeting, we know which series are going to be where throughout the entire year, where our guest speakers are, everything. Um, so from there, then what I do is I put in an Evernote file and it doesn't have to be Evernote, whatever it is you keep notes with. I have an Evernote file for each sermon series for the next year. And so at that point I start, um, whenever I'm doing personal reading and development, um, whether I'm studying for a sermon or not, if I find something that I'm like, oh my gosh, this would mm-hmm. be great for that series. Yeah. It's an illustration or it's a passage of scripture or whatever it is. I will open up Evernote on my phone and put it in there right then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll be tucking stuff away in those series throughout the year. So by the time I get to the series uh, or the week of, I might already have 
a lot of the bones to it already in there. So the week of yeah. uh, it's once I get to it, a lot of times I know like, Oh, here's where we're at. Here's where we're going with this. Uh, oh man, I've got this great illustration for this week or whatever it might be. If it's an expository series, we probably know the passage we're covering, you know, mm-hmm. cause we can lay it out ahead of time. So, so by the time we get to the week of, um, in, in all honesty, I use Tuesday as a study day, um, typically, but, um, but usually I only spend about maybe maybe four hours of actual prep and then a few hours of going through the message. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so I'm, I'm six hours, maybe seven a week that I'm using that week on the sermon. But I don't know how much I've used before that. Yeah. So so if, if I can get my prep for the weekend knocked out early on Tuesday, then anything left on Tuesday, I'm working ahead. So I'm looking down the road going, hey, I need to be thinking about that series because I've got no clue, you know, or whatever it it might be. Was it always like that for you? Or did you find that your prep time has decreased with the years of experience? Yes, my prep time has decreased for two reasons. Number one, um, at this point, I've been at Summit eight years, preaching three or four times a weekend for eight years. If I'm not better at what I do, not just the actual delivery of the sermon, but the prep of the sermon, at this point, I'm in real trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if it still takes me 25 hours to prep my message um, like it did eight years ago, I'm not getting better. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a problem. And so that's part of it. But then the other part of it is I've got um, I've got this this sounds arrogant to say it this way, but like a wealth of knowledge that mm-hmm. I can draw from. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not just doing sermon prep. Like I'm reading for my own personal development. Yeah. Growth. And this, this is key too. Um, I think sermon prep counts. Like you grow from sermon prep, but if the only time you ever read the Bible is for sermon prep, you're, I've got questions about your affections. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because if all you're doing is reading the Bible for sermon prep, that, that, that can Maybe be selfishly motivated. Preaching. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. so I, I get nervous when people say, you know, because I'll hear pastors say, well, I, you know, I've heard this, and but I'm reading the word when I'm prepping. And it's like, well, yeah, you are. But the motivation for you to read the word is you're delivering a message and people are going to give you feedback. And But what are you doing out of your affection for Christ? And so – over the years, I've got I've got a lot of resources internally to draw from because I read for personal development and I I read the Bible and and so that's where some of this stuff is coming from is because like I'm dropping it in Evernote when I'm just reading it on my own. Yeah, I mean it's so you know it's like a like a guy who says I'm lo- I, I, I'm showing my wife that I love her when I go to work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. then there's nothing afterwards right there's Mm -hmm. there's there's no date night there's no affection there's no you know like that's not gonna that's not gonna buoy you that's not gonna sustain a a relationship anyway yeah i mean it can be easy to like hide behind something so like you might love preaching like i thought it was interesting how you said you might love preaching because it could be you like preaching about your politics you could like preaching about your personal opinions whatever it is and like if you love preaching you could try to mask that as a love for god and a love for scripture and a love for all that and so yeah i think that's super interesting and and it's and it is an important point to continually deepen the well and to expand the reservoir of knowledge and like you can do that all the time Mm -hmm. i go to sleep listening to podcasts like i listen to them while i sleep and i've actually woken up some nights because something was interesting and like i don't know why it just happened i was like oh and 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 then i would listen to it for like 30 minutes and also if you read 
2% of the Bible per day, you can read your Bible the whole way through just over seven times in a year. And that's a lot, but it's not that much because on average, I have an average to slow reading speed and I can read 1% per hour. So that's two hours of reading per day. So two hours of reading per day, you're probably faster than I am maybe. And that gets you a lot like that. That would change your whole life if you can do that much in a year. And even, um, you know, the, the, um, version app has this beautiful feature where you can play the Bible or you can listen to it it to you. Yeah, absolutely. And so some of the people that are listening to this, you've got to commute every day. Um, you don't have to buy one of the fancy Bible apps with the fancy voices and the music in the background. You don't have to do that. You can pull out you version and, you know, just put the word of God on and start listening yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I, I've talked to pastors who have said, man, I'm just not a reader. Cause that's one of the questions I'll ask leaders is, Hey, what have you been reading? Well, I just don't read very much. I don't really like to read. It's like, okay, well yeah. you better be, you better be growing some mm-hmm. other way then. And yeah. podcasts are fine, but those are limited. Mm-hmm. So get the word of God in you somehow. Yeah. I had a conversation with a, like a counselor for, uh, IUP once he was an engineering graduate professor. And I, at this, at the time I had been interested in engineering and I told him, I really don't like math. And he just kind of looked at me oh. like, uh, <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's all, that's all very good. Uh, Mel, one of the things that you've said before that I think is pretty cool is that you you tell your staff that if they need to come talk to you and like, they can interrupt your sermon prep. Like yeah. that's one of the things that you almost kind of prefer them to interrupt. I don't know if that's right to say that, but like you're, you're, you have an open door when you're prepping sermons. Sure. And I think that's really important. I mean, it shows the priorities I think, and it helps. So if somebody is maybe they're the type of person who, when they're locked in, they're locked in and they don't want anybody to interrupt them. What, why did you come to that, uh, decision, I guess. Like, why do you do that? Why do you let, let that happen? So, um, oh, pastors, we can take the posture of, you know, um, touch not God's anointed kind of thing. We can mm-hmm. use that for lots of different things and we can elevate who we are and our calling. And well, I'm, I'm preaching the word of God and yes, we are preaching the word of God, but the vast, and, and the, I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> short sell this at all. The word of God is powerful to transform people's lives. Okay. So it's the preaching of the word is very, very, very important, but it is also, uh, in in terms of how we deliver it in a sermon, it can be terribly forgettable as well. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what we see in scripture over and over and over is yes, we see some of Jesus's sermons, but what we see more than that is his interaction with human beings Mm -hmm. that he values people more than the the presentation and uh, and so for me if i'm so engrossed in sermon prep that i'm neglecting my team the people that are supposed to be some of the most important people in my life then that's that's an issue mm-hmm. um and so if they come in and there's not really something to talk about you know i can always say hey let's catch up later you know, mm-hmm. thanks for thank you so much for stopping by. Let's catch up later. Mm-hmm. But it's the same kind of principle when it comes to 
pastors being in the lobby before and after service. And well, I'm doing sermon prep. Well, you, you probably didn't prep very well if it's 10 minutes before the sermon and you're still prepping, like Mm -hmm. that's an issue. Um, so be in the lobby because people aren't going to remember what you said on stage. They're going to remember your two minute conversation in the lobby. Mm -hmm. Um, so what we do is, is we, we are preachers, but we're not really pastoring our people very well because that's what they're going to remember when I when we're talking about, oh, hey, Bill's got his surgery on Tuesday. Hey, can I pray with you right now about that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what they remember. They're not going to remember the funny story I told. They're not going to remember how eloquently I exegeted a passage. They're, they don't care about that at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like the Holy Spirit can use it, but I just want to make sure I'm focusing on the things that really have eternal value, not just – Okay, I've got to do this because I'm going to look good if I say it this way. Yeah, or yeah. I got to be. I got to be careful about my motivation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you have a lead pastor who's very pastoral in his gifting, mm-hmm. um, and maybe not so much in his preaching or his teaching, um, would it be wise or even possible for that leader to take on the pastoral side and appoint someone else to do the teaching, or would that cause problems? depends on the context. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, look, the reality is that the average church in America is around 100 people, maybe less than 100 people at this point, right? And so they're not going to have the kind of resources that allow for that for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so I, for most people, most pastors, that's just not even a possibility for them to be able to do that. Um, for those who have those kinds of resources, yeah, I think that's advantageous if you can. I know for us, you know, we have a couple of our associate pastors on staff, myself and and Pastor Dick, and uh, who handle a lot of the pastoral care and weddings and funerals and counseling and that kind of thing, so that Mel can be freed up mm-hmm. to focus and concentrate on other things. And so mm-hmm. if you have the resources and capacity to do that, absolutely. I mean, uh, take advantage of people's giftings. Uh, but for the most part, that's not a reality for most pastors, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, in most pastors, we we see sermon clips and highlights of people like Stephen Furtick or whoever your favorite preacher is. You Matt Chandler, I don't know who it might be. You see their sermon clips and you're like, oh man, I wish I could preach like that. And, and, and for the most part, um, I hate rhyming stuff like this, but it, it just makes sense. People receive you how they perceive you, right? <laughs> yeah. So if if you pastor them well, if you've if you've sat with them during some of their worst moments, they're going to receive your messages differently. Right? You don't yeah. have to be the most polished. You don't have to be the most eloquent communicator in the world. They're going to receive your messages differently when they know you care and love about them. Mm. And so I think again, some pastors spend so much time on sermon prep, which is really important. It's vital that they neglect pastoring their people well. And if they pastored their people well, it would help their sermon prep because then they're going to give them more grace because they know, man, that my pastor loves me. Um, and, and, you know, here at summit, we've experienced that where we have pastors that maybe aren't, they don't get as much experience preaching. So they just aren't as skilled in some ways, Mm -hmm. but our people love them. So they love when this communicator gets to preach. Mm -hmm. And I know we had that at my last church too, that, you know, most of my staff is such a big church. Most of my staff never got to preach. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if they got, got to preach, man, the people loved it. Cause it was like, Oh, that's my pastor. Right. Um, and so for, for those of you that are listening to this, that maybe you're a solo pastor, you're like, dang, I'm drowning in all this. Um, 
if you can only do one thing well, love your people really, really well. Yeah. And that will help them like your sermons better, I promise. Yeah, that's that's really good. Well, and being being with somebody in the trenches, so to speak, mm-hmm. in, in the difficult moments of their life, and helping them to walk out their theology, to apply theology yeah, to their absolutely. lives, that's way more effective than you'll ever be in the pulpit. It just is. Mm-hmm. It just is. And that's not to say that... that that we neglect the teaching and the preaching of the word. It is vital to the life of the church and God uses it. And like, but, but helping someone to walk it out in that, I mean, like in that moment is going to be sustaining far, far past what they ever might remember. I said in the pulpit, Well, Mm -hmm. but one of the things as communicators, we want to make sure we help people understand how to apply it. Yeah. And that's application, right? Like that is, hands-on helping yep. people apply this to 100%. their lives. So, so yeah, you're ex- exactly right. Yeah, so this uh, this next part's more nuts and bolts, but it's interesting to me, so I think it'll be interesting to other people too. But, like, what 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 are your notes look like that you bring into the pulpit? I'm interested from both of your perspectives. Like, how much are you taking in? Are you taking in, like, a fully fleshed-out sermon, or is it more like bullet points? The reason why I wonder about this is because I think a lot of times, at least in my case, uh, that the format of the notes determines to some extent the style of the delivery. And um, so if I'm going up there with nothing, it's like, okay, I'm going to have to be thinking on my feet a lot and there's going to be some rabbit trails. There's going to be some sloppiness. Mm -hmm. But if I go up there with something that's really finely tuned and nice, then I think that I can maybe talk about deeper, harder to understand issues because I've already fleshed them out and explained them to myself so Mm -hmm. that I can explain them to other people. What do you take with you into the pulpit? Uh, it, it depends, honestly. Uh, I would say my, my default is more of kind of a bullet point kind of thing. Um, my particular preference is that I have spent enough time with the scripture and with the material that by the time I get up there, it's internalized. And so I don't have to have it completely scripted out that I'm able to engage with people, engage, you know, and, 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 and be in the moment. Cause there are times when I'll feel a particular, like, you know, you, you you start talking about something and you feel the you know, like God's kind of pushing you a little further in that direction. And so you explore that a little bit more. Uh, other times, you know, it's the exact opposite where you start into a, into the next point and then you feel like, okay, it's, you know, let's move on from this. Uh, that's personally my, how I do it. There are, there have been times when, when I'll script things out, like, um, uh, well, with the love song lies thing that I referred to earlier, where I know I'm going to have to keep coming back to and referring to the lyrics of this song and then coming back to scripture, I'll script a lot more stuff out in a case like that. Or one of the things we do every year is we call it six for six, where six different people on our team uh, preach for six minutes. Each of us does a different point of the sermon. I'm definitely scripting that completely <laughs> because I've, you know, uh, because. Otherwise, if you know me at all, I will go a lot longer than six minutes. <laughs> so, uh, so it it really depends. My default is more of a, a bullet point kind of thing, though. Okay. Yeah, I, I am too, and I would agree with Todd. Um, I wanna I wanna know it. It's kind of like um, you know when I was in plays in elementary school, like I had lines to learn. Um, like, and I would memorize the lines and if they didn't say their lines, I was not going to say my line, (laughs) right? Because I didn't know it. I just remembered what I was supposed to say. Right. 
Um, and so sometimes in church we do the same thing, whether it's announcements or, you know what I mean? We just memorize what we're supposed to say and it's not in us. And, um, you know, when you see a good actor, a good actor has internalized it. Like they become the character, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I want to do. I want to know this stuff so well that I can yeah. have a conversation because my preaching style is more conversational. And so it's like, hey, I want us to have an intelligent conversation. In order for us to do that, I have to know this stuff. Right, right. And so that's kind of what I do as well. And I have bullet points and I'll have – usually I have some key thoughts that I will have scripted out that I'm, I'm going to say it exactly this way because mm-hmm. I've tried to distill it down to a place where it – makes sense yeah well hopefully it's memorable what i don't want to do is fall into the trap of just trying to find tweetable statements yeah. <laughs> that that junk drives me you, you insane. just saying you just say a quote and then you turn to the side for your yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i i just hate that crap it drives me crazy uh because i feel like some preachers i listen to that's all they're doing like they're just they're just throwing out lines yeah. hoping that somebody's going to take it and tweet it and post it and you know yeah it's like oh and i understand the value of that because people remember that stuff like yeah. you know people receive yeah. you how they perceive you like i get that but it's like what is my motivation um and so that's where for me it's like yeah there's some things i'm going to script out because i want it i want to be able to say it a certain way in a way that's memorable in a way that is you know, digestible for people. Yeah. Or palatable. But anyway, but so yeah, that's kind of what I do as well. There's there's a thing here I think that's worth mentioning. Um and I think this is more of like a, a rookie mistake, but man, I've seen a lot of people do this. Um they'll say something that gets a lot of response. Um usually it's towards the end. And then they'll sit on that thing and they'll say it again and again and again and i think that there's like a weird motivation here that people should watch out for when they're preaching not to try to preach for the amens not Mm -hmm. to try to preach for the response so like Mm -hmm. if they think okay i have this thing and it responded really well how can i repackage that and in the next five minutes deliver it again and then they're sort of beating a dead horse and um on that note like how long what do you think an ideal length is for a sermon depends on how good you are that really is true. Well, how, yeah. how good how good is your message yeah because if if you're if you're not good 10 minutes is probably too long yeah if you're if you're good i mean for crying out loud mark driscoll no matter what you think about his his doctrine or his theology or behavior like dude's a good preacher he's an excellent community. and yeah. that guy i don't know how big was mars hill at its peak Twelve thousand, yeah, fifteen, maybe probably so fifteen thousand people would sit through 90 minute sermons why? Because he was a great communicator. Yeah. 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 So I don't think there's a set number. Um, I think it depends on your culture. I think it depends on your ability. And I think it help. It kind of helps to understand who you actually are. And because sometimes I'll preach 30 minutes. Sometimes I'll preach 50 minutes. It depends mm-hmm. on what the, you know, the content is. Yep. What are we trying to cover? Um, and I'm never going to go 50 for the sake of going 50, mm-hmm. um, at all. It's like, mm-hmm. well, I've got more time. I'll just go a little further. It's like, yeah. well, I, I'm, I need this time to cover the ground we need to cover. Yeah. So that would mean making sure that part of your regular service is not scheduling parallel ministries that, r- that run too tightly. Like, so for yeah. instance, like I've, you know, I've watched people preach a short sermon and it was like really good as it was short but the problem was the kids ministry wasn't done yet you yeah. know or whatever and so there was there was um there was there wasn't any room to be too short they had to go a certain length and i mm-hmm. think that avoiding that's probably wise yeah, the, the other issue can be a problem more so like hey we're done with kids ministry we don't have anything to do with them but the mm-hmm. preacher won't stop and <laughs> yeah. So, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Going. yeah. 
Um, okay, so I think this last idea will be a good place to wrap up on. Um, and that is, what is the importance of landing on the gospel at the end of your message, like, or somewhere in your message? Like, because I, I, I feel like if you're, especially if you're an expository preacher, it can be tempting to kind of just go through like a chunk and kind of deliver a commentary style message. Uh, why should we land on the gospel? And why should we it sounds like an obvious question, but at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it can feel a little repetitive. Well, and-, and I get the question because I've done that where it's like, huh, okay, how do we, how do we get back to the gospel from here? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe when I was younger, the question was, do I need to, do I need, you know, I can just give an invitation. And so mm-hmm. I, I get that question. Do you want to respond first, Todd? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I think the, the gospel is why we're here. Yeah. Right, and everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel. Uh, people who are following Jesus need to be reminded of the gospel every week, of 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 the fact that it is in that and that alone that we trust for our salvation. People who who don't know Jesus need the gospel because that's the power of God for salvation. You know, so I think you have to land on it. It has to come back to the cross. I mean, Jesus said the entire scriptures were about him. Mm-hmm. They testify about me. And so if my preaching isn't testifying about Jesus, am I really being faithful to the scriptures? Because Jesus said all the scripture testifies about him. Yeah. And so I think you have to come back to it. Jesus is central to everything. It's it's all about that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. That was well said. And, that, you know, th- that leads me to this this next thought. Um, I talk to a lot of pastors of smaller churches that don't give invitations. You know, well, all the people in my church are saved. It's like that's a problem. Oh, are are you <laughs> sure they are? Number one and number two. Yeah, like you said, that's a problem. Like, yeah. why aren't you seeing lost people come into your church? But I would encourage, I would encourage every preacher to do an invitation for salvation at the end of every message, um, because it does a couple of things. Number one, it gives people the opportunity to respond to the gospel. Yeah. Um, and number two, it reminds people of the value of the gospel. Hey, we value the gospel so much that we're going to talk about it every single week. Uh, even if I preach from Leviticus this week, um, we're still mm-hmm. going to remind people, Hey, here's how it ties back to this meta narrative yeah. of who Christ is and what he's doing and why he's still important for us and, and how, it, you know, yeah, that's, because, because it is, it is all a hundred percent about the gospel. That's super important too, because like when you demonstrate that in your preaching, then it encourages people to read the full counsel of God. Like mm-hmm. it encourages them to read the books that maybe they didn't see as tightly associated with Jesus and the gospel. And they, yeah. they, they can start to see Christ in all the places where they weren't seeing him before. And I think yeah. that's super powerful. Well, and if our preaching does not transcend the wisdom of the age, if what I preach on a, a weekend or what past, or what Mel preaches on a weekend or, we, you know, if the teaching that's coming from your stage, from your pulpit on the weekend uh, if they could get that same thing from Oprah or Dr. Phil, or there's not any value in that, mm-hmm. right? What we preach has to transcend the wisdom of the age, and that means that it has to come back to Jesus because it's only the gospel, it's only what Christ has done for us that, that truly transcends the wisdom of the age. It confounds the wise, the Word mm-hmm. of God says, right? And so it has to come back there. Otherwise, we're not a church, we're a, you know, we're a Ted talk with some music and, you know, <laughs> yeah, man, that's good stuff, guys. Uh, Pastor Todd Stanley, Pastor Mel Massengale. Thanks guys. Thank Everybody you. listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the back 40 leadership podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Really good stuff.
I hope you've benefited from this episode as much as I have. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you all for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.